Welcome to the Compass Church Podcast with Pastor Tim Jacobs, a ministry of Compass Church with your Arizona. Join us now as we look into God's Word to be challenged and changed. We cannot take credit for, for that. That was Southland Christian Church, and that's it's like 63 million views or whatever. So it's just unbelievable. But what's amazing about it is, is the kids, right? I mean, because there's the Christmas story, and the kids, they get it, right? They just, they just get it. And kids have this amazing, beautiful way of, of just seeing beyond what's in front of them. They, they, they don't just accept what's in front of them, but they're able to imagine something more. They're able to picture something greater. And it's not a leap for them at all to assume that, that God came down as a little baby. It's not a leap for them at all to be able to say, yeah, of course, this God became came man I mean, in this little manger. And of course, my favorite is the Bethlehem. <laughs> you know, it's so funny. But in their own way, they see it, they embrace it, they understand it. So the problem has never been with the kids when it comes to Christmas and understanding the beauty of it. The problem is not with them. The problem lies with us, with the adults. Because it's the adults who have lived long enough to grow that cynical and cold and jaded heart. It's the adults who have been, uh, who've had their, their, their um, hopes and dreams dashed so many times, who've been hurt so many times. And so the, the truth of the matter is when you started out in your life, you started out and the, the options were limitless. The world was huge. There was nothing that you couldn't do. There was nothing that wasn't possible. Everything was limitless in terms of its possibilities, and it was beautiful and wonderful. And then year after year after year, there was this war on your optimism, on your belief, on what you were hoping to be true. And one day, as you matured, quote unquote, you ended up with this idea where you realized, you know what, this world is not what they told me it was when I was little. This world is not what it, I expected it to be when I was very young. And the problem that we face is the reason that kids get this. The kids get this because they haven't yet lived long enough to know that the world that they live in is not the world that they were created for. Did you hear that? It's very, very important. The reason that these children can get up there with all this gusto and imagination and just, of course this happened, of course it's real, of course it's true, of course, is because they haven't lived long enough to realize that the world that they live in is not the world that they were created for. C.S. Lewis, the brilliant author of the Narnia, Chronicles of Narnia series, who was so good at fairy tale, was so good at seeing beyond what was in front, to, to, to take real truths about the world and put them into, into wild imagination. He said this, this Christian philosopher and author, he wrote, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another 
world. But I would tell you what you have to contend with and I have to contend with this evening is that God wants us to look at Christmas and to look at him through the eyes of a child. Oh, it is true. In fact, Jesus said, you don't, you, unless you become like one of these little ones, you won't be eligible for the kingdom of heaven. He says it in several places. In Mark, he says, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child, like one of these kids in the video, shall not enter it. Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And why? Is it because they're innocent? No way. It's not because they're, you know, our kids, they're not innocent. They're born, they're born little sinners, man. They're, they're cute sinners, right? You know, but, but, they're, but they're sinners. They're, we know this, right? It doesn't take very long. The first thing a kid learns is mine, right? You don't have to teach a kid how to be selfish. They learn that just fine on their own. The issue is not the fact that they're innocent or pure. That's not why. The reason is because they haven't yet become jaded. They haven't yet become a part of the same stuff, different day crowd. You know, here I am again. They're not there yet. And Jesus says, you've got to get to that place. If you're going to understand me and understand you and understand all of this. And so you've got to take that heart of stone and you've got to melt it. And you've got to believe and have that childlike faith. And so if I could tell you one thing this evening, what God wants from you more than anything else is he wants you to be like a kid at Christmas. He wants you to be like a kid at Christmas because he has gifts for you and he wants you to take them. Just take them. So I have several gifts up here. And each one of these gifts represents something that's given to you because of the fact of Jesus. Because of the arrival of Jesus. Because we believe that there's 100% God and 100% man in this baby, in a manger, on Christmas. We believe in the virgin birth. We believe in all these things. And, and the gifts that are contained in that are for you. So be like a kid at Christmas and take them. Because the reality is, if I were to tell you that these three gifts on this table are the greatest gifts you could ever give, you'd sit back there and go, nah, nah, nah. There's not the greatest. I mean, what? what is this? What's in here? Like a blender or something? I mean, you know, that's cool, but that's not the greatest gift you could ever give. And this is too small for a Ferrari, so... That's clearly not the greatest gift you could have. So, you know, you're back there going, no, 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 no. But if you're a child, and I said, hey, kids, in these boxes are the greatest gifts you could ever get in your life, they'd be like, whoa, yeah. There could be an elephant in there. I don't know. You don't know. You don't know. But if you're a kid, you can see it. And so we've got three gifts that I want to present to you that are offered to you for you the taking this evening. You take them. Just take them. The first one, I'll start over here. The first one is the gift that we would call mercy. Mercy. You see, in the very beginning chapter of the very beginning book of the New Testament in the book of Matthew. Pastor Dave, if you were here a few weeks ago, covered this, but many of you weren't here, so you need to hear this. In the very first chapter of the very first book of the New Testament, before the story of Christmas is ever told, here's the most greatest, the greatest news ever been told, and it starts off with a genealogy. 
And a genealogy is basically like a family tree. Like so-and-so begets so-and-so begets so-and-so begets so-and-so begets so-and-so. And if you're reading this thing in Matthew chapter 1, it's like the most boring thing you could ever read. Like if Matthew was writing for an English exam, he would fail. Because he didn't have a good intro. It's not a good intro. Like this is a very boring intro. No one wants to read past chapter 1. So everybody skips chapter 1 and goes to the good stuff. But if you miss chapter 1, you miss the whole concept of mercy. Because buried in that genealogy are things that no one would ever expect. For example, you see a list of only male names, men's names, because they were represented as heads of households until you get to a woman whose name was Rahab. Rahab was not an Israelite at all. She was, not only was she not an Israelite, she was a prostitute who was a member of a tribe who was the enemy of the Israelites. Now a woman like this who's a prostitute, who's not from your, your lineage, not from your family tree, who's an outsider, she's the kind of person, and you all have them in your families, who you just kind of rather not talk about. Oh, I forgot to invite you over again for Christmas. I'm sorry, it just must have slipped my mind. This is the person you don't want to admit is actually related to you in any way. And yet the Bible purposely includes the woman, the woman Rahab as part of this genealogy because there's one point that the reader would get right away. This woman doesn't belong here. God must love mercy. God must love second chances. God must love redemption. God must love taking people that the world has written off and cast aside and not wanted anything to do with and put them in the center of his story so that they are actually literally related by bloodline to the very savior of the world. This is what God does. And this is what he loves to do. And so whatever preconception you had when you walked in here about the kind of God that we have, if he's this old and stale and distant kind of being, right out of the gate in what, should, in what is something that is so um, kind of under the radar, you see pictures of mercy. She was not the only woman. There was another woman whose name was Bathsheba. And they, rather than calling her Bathsheba, they call her the wife of Uriah. And they call her that so to remind the people who would be reading, who would be largely Jewish, that this woman was at once the wife of Uriah, Uriah, but then had an affair with King David. And then King David, because Bathsheba got pregnant, turned around and had her husband killed. And so rather than call her by her name, they called her by, by, by how everyone would remember her and included her in the bloodline. She became the mother of Solomon, the wisest man who has ever lived. Why is this in here? Because God just loves mercy. He loves surprising people with mercy. He loves saying, open this up. You will have mercy right where you are. And so tonight, what God wants to give you is a gift, and he wants you to be like a kid at Christmas and take it. 
Because the reality is a lot of us are living lives in such a way that we think, well, you know what? Maybe God won't have mercy on me. Maybe I've gone too far. Maybe I'm in a place where my life is so far gone that there, there isn't a place for me. And yet right out of the gate, Jesus' bloodline is listed with prostitutes, adulterers, and murderers. Not exactly something that you want to broadcast. But he did. And so that's just one simple example And what God is telling you on Christmas, the reason for Christmas, is because God wanted to make mercy available to be able to restore you. We sing a lot uh, around here at Compass Church. We sing the song, you make beautiful things out of dust. You make beautiful things out of us. And he can take a life that's shattered and rebuild it and make it part of his story. No matter who you are or where you come from or what you're doing right now, when your heart softens like a child and says, man, God, I want that. I want that. It's freely given. The second gift that God wants you to take is similar but has very huge ramifications to it, and it is the gift of forgiveness. This is the gift of forgiveness. You see, when Jesus came to earth as a baby, the reason that he came to earth as a baby is because he's just like us in every way. So he arrived in the earth just like we did, except that he was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. So an outside force could act upon humanity. He just didn't come from us in a natural way. His birth was supernatural, but it still was a birth. He still arrived because he's 100% man. And the reason that that was so important is because he came to earth to be both a priest and a sacrifice so that we would no longer need a human priest or an animal sacrifice as it relates to our relationship with God. He would play both of those roles for us. You see, all throughout Jewish uh, history, there was a conception of how sins were dealt with. And so you, because everyone would commit a sin, and so when you would commit a sin, whatever that would be, you would have to go and get uh, like a goat or a, you know, a lamb or a bull or whatever, and you would, like, you'd bring your little goat. It had to be a good one, a really, really good goat. You couldn't get a bad goat, but you had to get a good goat. And you had to bring your goat over to the priest and present your goat to the priest, and the priest would kind of look it over and say, okay, it's acceptable. And you would place your hand on the goat's head, And what you were doing was, you were doing a process of atonement. Atonement means to cover. Because you had to get your sins covered. You had to get your sins taken away. And so you'd place your hand on the goat's head, and when you did that, the sin that you had committed would pass from you onto the goat. So now the goat stands in your place as a substitute and becomes your sin, takes on your sin. And then the goat is then slaughtered. And the flesh was burned, and the smoke coming up from the flesh was said to be seen as a pleasing aroma to God. But you walked away from that experience with this image grilled into your mind that the sin that you committed was placed on that goat. And he looks up at you with his little goat eyes and his little goatee. And he's gone because of you. So you always had an idea that yes, you're forgiven, but sin requires payment. And that payment is made in blood. Now it's, for, it's, it's forgiven in a sense that it's covered. Now here's the problem. The problem is that while that was a picture, all it really was was a picture. The blood 
of the goats and the bulls never actually made, was never effective enough to actually cover the sin. It was just a metaphor. It was a picture. It was an example. It was an act. It was a visual demonstration of what was necessary for sins to truly be forgiven. So you would go back over and over and over and do it. And it says in Hebrews chapter 10, it says that it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It's impossible. That's what the Bible says. It doesn't ever work. And so what happens is when Jesus comes, he is now, because you had to get a good goat and a good bull, he becomes the perfect man, the perfect sacrifice. He, has, he is sinless. He is spotless. He is guiltless. And he now, when we come to him, we place our hands on his head. And our sins are transferred from us and laid on him. And he is seen as an acceptable sacrifice. And when he dies on that cross, his blood is effective. It is real. It is true. Because he is, he is God and he is man joined together. No greater sacrifice could there possibly be. And out of that comes forgiveness for you and for me once and for all. And I'm telling you guys, because of so much messed up church tradition throughout the ages, this is the thing that nobody seems to get. So if we're going to be a religious person, I know I got to deal with my sin, so I ask forgiveness, and then I ask for it again, and I ask for it again, and I ask for it again, and I ask for it again, because I don't really think or believe that I'm truly forgiven. And honestly, guys, if this is where you are, you don't understand the power of Jesus and the power of his shed blood and the incredible act of grace given. When you're forgiven, you're forgiven, it's over. You don't have to keep rehashing all that stuff. You don't have to keep reliving all this stuff. The Bible says you're a new creation. That old life is gone. You have this incredible second chance at your life and, and to be able to live and walk in innocence and purity. Look what it says in Hebrews. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and cows, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Jesus has become our high priest and our sacrifice. And you know what he's asking you to do? Take it. Take it. Don't go, oh, I'm not good enough. Of course you're not good enough. You're a sinner like I am. But the shed blood of Jesus is good enough. It is worthy. And once it's gone, it's gone. So you start thinking about all the things in your life that you regret and you wish you hadn't done. The reason for Jesus is not just have a nice little baby in a manger with animals. And all it, it's, it's so that at some point, this God-man would set you free. And it's beautiful. So take forgiveness like a kid at Christmas. Take it. It's yours. The third gift that is the one that so many of us miss is the gift of life. You guys see that? Life. Life. See, Jesus says in John chapter 10, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That word abundantly means beyond all expectations, going way beyond what is necessary. It means more than enough. That, that Jesus wants you to have a life today, not just in heaven, but today, that wildly exceeds all of your expectations. How do we know this to be true? 
Because Jesus is the one that cracked the code. He was sinless. He was perfect. And he was the first person to ever show us the way. To ever show how humanity is actually able and, and how it should be lived out. The first person to actually get it right. The first one to get it right. And because of that, he just says, follow me. Follow me. So if you're a man sitting here this evening, and you're like, man, I... I'm, I'm just struggling in my life. I don't, I don't know what this, what, what this manhood thing is. I don't know what, what being a husband is or a father. Like, I don't know how to do that. I never had a father that showed me. I never had someone that, that mentored me along. I never saw a picture. I, I, don't, I don't know what to do. I don't, I'm just struggling with who I am and, and where I fit. You look at the person of Jesus who came to earth and the Bible says gave himself up for us for our sins. He did what needed to be done. He went the full distance. There was no one who was more of a man than the man of Jesus. And all he says is, guys, follow me. I'll show you. Tend to the field that God has given you. Tend to the responsibilities in your area and do what I did and give yourself up for the people I've put under your care in your life, your wife and your children and the people that work with you and for you and the neighbors around you. Take responsibility. Make their problems your problem the way I made your problem my problem. Do that. Follow me. And in that, you'll find life. In that, you'll find joy. Because that is the journey. It's not merely just trying to accumulate stuff or get as strong as I can just for, the, just for the sake of being strong. But I get strong and I get courageous so I can give all that stuff away. If you're a woman here struggling tonight, maybe saying, you know what, I, I, I've just never, I've never understood or felt valued by, by any man ever. I never got it from my father. I never really got it from the men in my life. I still struggle with this massive insecurity and it defines so much of what I do. These gifts, this gift of life is for you because Jesus is saying, listen, the God of the universe made you and he calls you beautiful. You know deep in your heart, when you were little, you believed you were a princess. That wasn't because you were wrong. That's how I made you. And I showed you by the fact that I came to earth as this man who gave up everything to declare you righteous and holy and pure and clean, to be able to elevate you to this status where you are so valued, you are so important, and I'm just asking that you take that, that you believe that. And you stop listening to the voices and stop the reverberations from horrible things that have happened to you throughout the course of your life that have dragged you down. You need to break the power. As you follow me, you'll see someone who's loved you more than you ever thought you could be loved. This is the kind of stuff that we're talking about. This is the reason for Christmas. This is the reason for Jesus. And I'll tell you, Jesus became what we are. Jesus became like us so that we could become like him. Not that we're going to become God, but that we could live this life of righteousness and holiness and purity and amazement and abundance. So I'll close with this. A few months, a few weeks ago, last month, I was, I was riding my mountain bike. And uh, I saw this, I, I was just out by myself, I was riding on the trail. 
up by the, by the library up here on the Maricopa Trail. And I see this guy just laying on the ground. That's kind of weird. First, I didn't think it. I just thought maybe he's sleeping or something. I'm like, why would a guy be sleeping? Like, you know, your brain, you know. So I, I'm like, wait, there shouldn't be a guy laying on the ground with his bike over here. <laughs> like something went wrong, right? So I got off my bike and I went, hey, man, are you okay? And he's just kind of laying really still. And I look closer and I realize that this guy had ridden his bike straight into a cactus. And not just any cactus. He rode his bike into a cholla. You, you're from out of town. Have your relatives tell you what a cholla is. It's jumping cactus. The needles are so uh, loosely hanging from the plant that, that when you get close to them, it's almost like they jump. And they have little like fish hooks and they dig inside your skin. And this guy had these sticker balls all over his body. I mean, on his legs. He had one coming out of the back of his hand. The skin was raised up in his hand. It was stuck. And he had these little individual thorns. He could not move his arms down because he had thorns sticking out of it. If he put his arms down, he would crush them more into his. So he had to, he was like this. And I looked at this guy and I said, oh, I'm calling 911. I mean, there's nothing you could do. You, I, I can't help you, man. I cannot, nobody can. And then when the paramedics finally got there, we, you're going to the hospital. I mean, nobody can help. We got to get you some serious treatment. We can't help you. This guy can't help you. This is really bad. And this guy was incapable of helping himself. And I was incapable of helping him. The only thing that he could do was to cry out for help from somewhere else. And you know, it would have been so stupid for that guy to lay there with thorns all over him and say, no, no, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. I'm just going to keep laying here for a while. They'll all fall out eventually. No. This guy was in a place where he was incapable of helping himself. Someone had to come and rescue him and pick him up and begin to restore him to where he should have been, to bring him back to a place of health. It was his own fault that he rode into that thing. It was an accident. Obviously, he didn't intend to do it. But he was, it was his own intentions or what or not. And it's so, it's so picturesque of, of all of us because we've all been there. We've all been in that place. And if you sit there and you go, no, I'm basically good. I'm cool. I'm fine. You're about as wise as the guy laying there with, I mean, literally over 100 thorns sticking out of this guy's body. I mean, it was unbelievable. And, and, and laying there, that's basically you. Oh, no, I'm good. I, I'm, basically, I, I'm, in, I'm in good shape. No, 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 no. That's not what we're here. God is calling you tonight to be like a kid at Christmas. To say, listen, I know you need help. I know you need forgiveness. I know you need, you need a revolution in your life. I'm offering you mercy. I'm offering you forgiveness. And I'm offering you life. Take it. Just take it. If you're ready to receive that, that life, I just want to pray for you right now. So if we all just go ahead and bow our heads and close our eyes, we just, if you just take a moment just between you and God, maybe you're a little surprised because you didn't expect to hear a message like this. Maybe you just thought you'd hear some kind of nice little homily that was, you know, kind of uh, not really going to be something that was going to stab you in the, in the heart. Maybe this did. Maybe the best Christmas present you could ever receive truly is Jesus. So if you're here tonight and, and you're saying, you know what, God, you're talking to me.
I know I need mercy. I'm not going to be some guy that fools myself. I know I need forgiveness. I know I need to be washed clean. I just do. And I believe that your blood, that your cross did that. And I need life, God. I just, I need you to make me alive. We say around here a lot that God didn't come to make bad people good, but rather dead people live. So right now where you are, we just tell him, you say, Jesus, I, I believe. I'm taking these gifts. I'm taking them and I'm going to be like a kid at Christmas. I'm taking mercy. I'm taking forgiveness. I'm taking life. Because you offered it. And I got to have it. God, will you melt this heart of stone? Will you take away the cynicism and the bitterness and the anger and the, the fear of, of being let down again and all that stuff? God, will you soften my heart? I want to be like that child that I must become in order to enter your kingdom. God, with that faith that says you are real and you do love me. God, thank you for each one of these men and women who have come here. And may they be completely crushed in their hearts by your love and your goodness and your grace and your mercy and your kindness and your life. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. Why not ask God to change your life so you can go and change your world for him? To find out more about our church online, go to www.compasschurch.info and we'll see you next time.